it's all wood. You know the wooden walks that yeah. they see the cowboys <laughs> come down? There's nothing in it. And that's where your man's up. And he says, come down on Thursday. He says, come stay, bring your guide. Stay with us. We went down, stayed in the, in, in the ranch. We had elk for dinner and they had they had this, his, his friend had about 20 miles of the, the stream that ran into the Blackfoot of Montour Creek. It was full of fish. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. If you're not into rugby, stick with us as we do also cover fly fishing on this week's episode as we talk to Mike Cosgrave, the former coach and centre for Connacht, who was also a passionate fly angler and who fished carb and mask as a kid growing up. While he still fishes the Western Locks, Mike's other great fly fishing love is Montana. He has fished the fly fishing spiritual home of America over a dozen times and has some incredible stories about hiking into the wilderness, catching trout to 10 pounds and even fishing the famous Blackfoot River from A River Runs Through It. But Tom, before we hear from Mike, I could see the glint in your eye when he was describing the fishing over there. Yeah, was it that evident, Dara? Yeah. Oh yeah, you're like... that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was phenomenal, was, you know, just to hear that and he, to hear what he was saying and, you know, describing the, the number of fish per mile in the Missouri River. Uh, but what really uh, floated my boat was his story of um, the Bob Marshall wilderness. And wow. Yeah, it's funny because you think of Montana and like I'm thinking the ranches, the lodges, mm. you know, river runs through a kind of vibe. But yeah, he discovered this wilderness place, which was kind of up kind of near the border, I think he said, with Canada, wasn't it? Just mm. And there's only even a handful of guides who are allowed to actually guide in there. Yeah, you know, phenomenal. And then to hear, you know, getting into it. And as I said to you, like, as I asked before, and as surely there's other ways of getting in. And he went, no. Horseback, that's it. You know, horseback, or you can trek. You know, some yeah. people do trek it, like, you know, people have plenty of time and just put on the backpack and everything. Well, phenomenal. But um, not only that, he talks about all the other rivers there. I mean, I think Montana is, um, is a place that we all know. I mean, from, and we mentioned it there, the river runs through it, uh, probably opened up a lot of people uh to montana and the fishing industry when that came out with brad pitt in the 90s but it, it's you know it's just good you know it's it, it's like the western locks in ireland it's it, it's like you know patagonia and trout fishing it's one of those places it's destination it's dare i say it it's it's bucket list material yeah you know yeah, yeah. although what was great talking to uh, mike about he's been there i think he said 14 15 times um he went every year between 2000 or something like that for 12 years or something he was saying like it's just obviously didn't have kids at the time does now so it's curtailed his his annual trips but um it's it's to be able to do that so it's he's got some great insights great information on it really kind of people talk about new zealand but now i'm kind of leaning more towards montana now like you know you've done new zealand of course so i've done new zealand i I think you touched on it there when you're talking to him you talk about the variety Mm. you know and all the different types of stuff that is probably there. Now, the variety is good in New Zealand too, but, you know, a lot of New Zealand is fishing for, let's say, the trophy trout, you know, and targeting, not always, and, you know, I'm doing a disservice there, but, you know, it's renowned for very big fish and, you know, chasing after these, spending time at them. Like, I know, like, it's interesting when he talks about the Missouri, about seven and seven and a half thousand fish per mile. Like, I fished a river, uh, in New Zealand, and it was about about one fish a kilometer. My God! But, but, and maybe there was more. But this is all we would see. That fish was probably double figures. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you know, and there's the difference. 
between the two, you know? See, I think I prefer Montana because if you mess up that cast. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. I did. I got to hold my hands up. Uh, that river. Uh, yeah. Remember song. And I didn't think I'd missed it up, actually. And even when I look back at it now, I just said, what did I do wrong with that cast? But anyway, I thought I covered him well and he just fecked off. Not at a rate of knots, but he just fecked yeah, off. Not having that. So there's another kilometer. <laughs> For the next fish, fish. Uh, tried to turn. Anyway, yeah, I yeah kinda, no. actually, now that you mentioned it, Darren, I might be with you. Because <laughs> Mike was saying they were catching about 100 fish a day, was it, when they were doing the wilderness? Yeah, that was phenomenal. He said you could add 200 if you wanted to, like, if you wanted to yeah. hammer it, like, you know, so. Um, yeah. No, it was great to talk to him. Like, I've known Mike for a long time because uh, he's been down here in Clumber, um for years. So I remember from growing up and everything, but um, it was it was actually great as our first my first. Well, I know you do the rugby podcast, but I'm, I've never done a rugby podcast before, so it's great. <laughs> Apologies to anyone who's not into rugby. Um, we do get to fly fishing eventually, but yeah, you know, somebody who's you know played for Connacht for ten years was a coach yeah. for them. He was the predis- the Warren Gatland was the coach after him at Connacht. So you yeah, know, kind of some and interesting got, stories. Yeah, and he got to play against Warren Gatland. Yes, and the All Blacks yes. and all that stuff. Yeah. Like so, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't you can't ignore. It, so, um, but stick with it. If you're not into rugby, it's he's he's, he's got some funny stories either way. So it's, it's, it's well <laughs> it worth actually. it. Well worth, especially yeah. when we get to Montana. But look, let's yeah. hear from Mike now. Uh, and I first asked him where his fly fishing story began. Well, my grandfather actually had a place in Loch Mask, um, not far from Tom there, Spiders Bay. And then he had a play. He he bought an old schoolhouse on Landilla Upper Mask. And although I was never down there much with him, my mum was kind of keen on fishing, didn't do a lot, but I did the usual, got into fishing for perch with worms and spinning and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then my mother got a ghillie to bring me out one day that used to bring in my granddad and it kind of went from there. It used to dap a lot initially, I'd say, uh, like a lot of people on Mask and Carob. And then kind of later on, as I got a bit older, got into the fly fishing. Uh, I, more so when I, I used to go back to, to Delphi actually and... Uh, to a couple of priests that I knew and they used to bring me back. And there's a family there called the McAvoy's back. They have a house in Upper Mask. And there used to a priest that stayed with them and fished for the month down in, in Delphi. And uh, he was my priest in school in Dublin, as it happened to be. And he brought me back one day. And oh my God, it was just unbelievable. I think we That's got 30 David's... capable sea trout in the first day. That's David's uncle, isn't it? No, it, it was a friend of the father's. Yeah, it was a friend. It was of a friend of David's father. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the other priest used to stay in uh, Kylemore and uh, relieve the priest for Kylemore for a month, and they take <laughs> literally take a month on 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 Dulac mostly and and Finlock and Glen Cullen, and they'd fish for the month. I often thought, Jesus, it'd be great to be a priest. <laughs> this is this is unreal. <laughs> Priest or a teacher, or a teacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, and the fish, I've heard that the podcast, the fishing was just unbelievable. Like it was just, mm. I, I couldn't even describe it. It was that good. And this was back like sort of 79, 80, that kind, eight, nine, eight, that kind of time. I was only 14, 15 at the time. You've lived and worked in Dublin all your life, is that right? My parents moved to Galway actually when I was, uh, when I was about 16. So we had, we're always, we've spent two or three months in Clamber every year. Um, and then it got to the stage where even if my parents weren't going, I went down and I stayed with a friend of mine um, whose father was a ghillie, Matty Somerville, Tom would know him as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, he used to be, and I used to stay with them 
you know, instead of going home, I was in boarding school. I might see my parents one end of the year to the other hardly at one stage. Sounds you sound a bit like the way Tom like you were Tom, you were up at school and, you know, obsessed with the fishing, you know, it was mm. kind of like you nearly couldn't wait till the summer holidays came along so you could be out the whole time. Was that the way you'd class it? Like that, that was it. I, I used to I used to come down when before we lived there, and my my mum might be down for two months of the summer, and there might be a month left or three weeks, and I wouldn't go home. I'd stay with that family. And when I think of the madness, like I used to go out and lock mask on my own as a fourteen or fifteen year old with just a pair of oars, and you do a drift and and you dap all the way down, and then you have to row all the way back up again. It was mad stuff. Like you wouldn't let your child do it in a million years today. <laughs> I never heard of a life jacket like that. Just didn't even <laughs> exist, you know. I, I just and I just get I'd pick grasshoppers and hop on the bike. I'd have a dappin rod. I'd have a sandwich and I'd have a jar of grasshoppers and a net. That was it. And were you going out from Ross Hill? Yeah, yeah, I was going out from yeah. Ross Hill. Yeah, well, but it's true what you say. Like, I mean, you wouldn't, you know, fourteen-year-olds, you wouldn't let them do that now nowadays. Oh, n- not in a million years. It was <laughs> mental. It was absolute madness when I think about it. And, and, you know, the family I used to stay with, the, who was one of my close friends, Tom Somerville, he um, yeah. he came back from England. Tom would be older than I am. And that was great because he was mad into the fish and I had an adult mm. that could use an engine, you know. It was, it was brilliant. Tell me this, Mike. Were you with friends or were you very much kind of one of the, the oddities that was so into the fishing? I, I used to do a lot myself. I had a couple of friends, Seamus Kine particularly in Clamber, who's mother owns a fishing shop but the problem was in Clamber in those days the 14 and 15 you know, they all had to work which was you know I used to work <laughs> on the farm with 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 the summer woods when I was staying with them but like yeah. they'd be trying to get them to get out of the shop and Owen Burke another friend of mine God rest him who was down there died far too young yeah. uh, trying to get them out was like they, they were they, they, they were brought up to kind of when I said the hard way I don't mean that in a bad way but these, they, they, they had shops and pubs and stuff like that and they were up early in the morning so I just end up going out my own you know because there was there was no one around you know now i did you disservice by claiming you're in dublin all the time because and you, you kind of brushed over it there but tell me about the rugby side of things i had the rugby is great I, I i was lucky enough to play for comics for about 10 seasons and uh, i coached them for another three and funny enough i was in boarding school in munster and what actually happened to me i played munster schools uh, back in 8081, and Connacht actually, to be fair, wrote to me and asked me, would I declare for Connacht when I left school? And I played kind of underage with Connacht. And then uh, I was lucky enough, uh, it was fantastic times, to be honest with you, to, uh, to play with Connacht for about 10 seasons. And then I coached for another three. I was really lucky there as well. I coached a year with Eddie O'Sullivan, two at Warren Gatland. Uh, and then I Warren gave me the opportunity to coach the RNA side for a year uh, with Mike Ruddock. So a super runner. Coached a couple of teams in Dublin, Lansdowne Wanderers, but uh, I, I'm just really lucky in my rugby career. I, I describe myself as a journeyman, but I had a good head for it, you know. So, uh, what I, position, uh, right? I played the centre mostly. I played nearly every game. I played one game at out half when Eric Elwood was injured, but other than that, I, I, I played them all. Ah, look, rugby was like university to me. I saw the world. I played a couple of seasons in Australia. Um, and uh, and you know made some life lifelong friends in it, which which would be I, I, you know it was I think I got all my jobs nearly when I was younger, all my my you know the, the chances through when I go back and think, geez, if I didn't play rugby, I'd, God knows what I'd be, <laughs> what I'd be doing now. Um, so I was lucky, and we got to get a, we got a few good games in those times. You know, we played the All Blacks, Australia, Samoa. You know, th- those are times when teams toured and played the provinces. You know, so fantastic times for me, and I was, I was say incredibly lucky. 
Yeah, I was just looking at them. There's a bit of footage on the All Blacks game on YouTube, but three or four minutes as much as I could get. And I remember when they came to Galway that day, because I was still in college in Galway at that time, and I, I didn't bother going to it. I was really sorry afterwards that I didn't. But um, yeah, it was, um, it was some game. Uh, you went ahead that day, didn't you? I think we did in the beginning, but it was yeah. oh, <laughs> man, it was uh, it was about ten thousand people in the sports ground that day. Yeah. It was mad bananas. What year was that? Uh, Eighty nine, and they were the yeah. world champions then. Actually, funny enough, so they had yeah. a really good side. In fact, Juan Gallon was playing in that game, and uh, as we we reminisced, but it was it was like it was. I think it was thirteen six at half time. And we were dead at halftime. It was like wave <laughs> after wave after wave. And this is a fact. I touched the ball twice in the game. And one of the touches was Eric put up a Gary Owen. I happened to get a hand to tap it back. And the other was I intercepted a pass just as they were about to score. And when I intercepted it, three of them hit me, took the ball off me and then did score. <laughs> so um, it was, I, I, and I came off the pitch and I'm not joking you. I was never tired or ever. I could hardly walk off the pitch. I'd say I made 40 tackles, which is like mental stuff. You're just getting up, down, up, down, up, down. And it was the second half, they just ran riot. It was, but it was, uh, it was a great experience, you know. Did you get to swap jerseys, Mike? They would not in those days, oh, you know. No. Um, like, of course, you know, amateur like, days, wasn't it? Amateur days. You wouldn't even get a kind of jersey at the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like polystyrene type yokes, you know, yeah. that you, I, I, I have a, I gave Tomas Burke my I think my jersey did they have a pub in Lambert from the Australian yeah, game the yeah and uh, I, I still have my All Blacks jersey there somewhere I, do, do you mind me actually just talking to you about the rugby for a while because <laughs> I just I think it's brilliant that era um, I I co-wrote the book with Donald Lenehan so I got real insights into 1980s rugby and yeah. it was a bit of a wild west like wasn't it and I Forgive me for saying it, but I'd say it was a bit wilder in Connacht in the sports grounds as well. Ah, uh, Jesus! I, I it's a, it was like the sports ground, as I say, like teams hated playing there, but I hated playing there too. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> no one likes it. It's actually we played Australia in um, in ninety three, and they were actually world champions. And it was, there was hailstones that day and it was savage, is all I can tell you. But about halfway through the game, there were, which way do I go into it? But David Campese came on and I will never forget it. He was on the wing and he was jogging on the spot for like the whole second half, was flapping his arms around his body. And when we were having the dinner after, I was chatting to him and he said, oh, mate, never fucking played anywhere as cold as my life. Excuse the language. And uh, I could see he was totally miserable, like on the page. And uh, I'd say, uh, but it was it, it was brutal. That that wind comes straight down the pitch, and uh, as as people you say, it's an advantage. And I used to say, you tell me a rugby player who likes to play in the wind and the rain every week, <laughs> every week, yeah, yeah, every week. Well, thank God we were we were lucky, like that we were only playing. You only played like maybe two or three friendlies, and then you know three or four interpros depending at that stage the exiles were in it as well right, one, yeah. one part of it you know um, but uh, oh, it was brutal when did you stop playing? 
I stopped playing in 90, the 94-95 season. To be fair to Eddie O'Sullivan, I'd been captain of Connacht then and uh, he said to me, look, do you fancy coming into the coaching? And I had, my back was going to be a bit of trouble and stuff. So he said, you can play next year or coach. And I thought, like, never happened today, but who, who'd get into coach and into pro level straight off? So, no, it was he gave me a great opportunity from that point of view. I was still playing club rugby, but I just uh, I just played the I just you know went in from there and uh, started coaching, and then Warren Gatlin came in the next year, who was absolutely unbelievable, and uh, kind of went from there. But I was working full time as well. It was very hard, very mm. hard. I, I had to make a choice then in the end do I go coaching professionally because I coached Lansdowne um, for for three years. I done the I did the RLA team and within that time, and then it was kind of what 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 way do you go? You know. I had a couple of offers, but I had a good job. And so it's the others, the two fickle. Could you ever have envisaged, because remember those early days of the professional era, like where Irish rugby was so far behind, um, you know, in terms of the structures and, you know, the, the setup of it. Um, could you ever have envisaged the way the game was developed in the coming years? It was hard then, but to be fair, the guys who structured it in Ireland originally, Sid Miller, Ronnie Dawson, those guys, they did an unbelievable job. And people forget how they structured. The, and you can see UK are in tatters, even you know Scotland, Wales, very weak rugby, club rugby. Like they did an unbelievable job, those guys. Um, and uh, later on, the RFU nearly messed it up by trying to get rid of Connacht, actually, you know, yes, that time. That, yeah. Uh, and actually, that would have been that would have been a disaster, you know, um, in, in because it would have limited you. Because that's what the other provinces uh, have, or the other countries have done. You know, they've they've got fewer teams and uh, and they don't have the rugby population. But isn't and Tom? I know you're a massive kind of rugby fan as well. Like mm, season ticket holder. And when you think about it, like in terms of the names you mentioned there, you know, Eric Elwood, Warren Gatland, Eddie O'Sullivan, like the amount of people, and now you've got Mac Hansen, Bundyaki, like the amount of people who. But, Cut their yeah, there. You know? Even in those days, you got to remember if Simon Gagan got his cap right, the comics, yeah. Jim yeah. Staples and 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 uh, and uh, David Curtis are three guys that I played in the back line. It was the best comic back line I'd said there ever was. Eric had out half. Uh, <clears throat> I was probably the weak link, but um, um, unbelievable uh, team. You know, guys like Noel Mannion, who was a supreme athlete. Like you know, played in a in All Ireland uh, semi final for Galway. I mean, Noel was before his time, to be honest with you. We went to Australia, myself and Noel, and played there. They reckon he'd have, he'd have, you know, in those days, 30 or 40 caps for Australia, as well as being, you know, probably a, a brilliant rules player. He was just awesome. But he was a bit before his time. He he, he was so he was so good on the ball skills and stuff of like that. And, you know, those days to get in the Irish team, you needed to be as a forward, not seen nearly, you know, that kind of yeah, way. But he, yeah. he, he was a gifted, uh, he was a gifted rugby player. But there was, Tom Clans. There was a lot of good players and a lot of brilliant players who actually didn't get you know capped but were brilliant. And one I call out is is Robbie Henshaw's um uncle Davy, who was a prop. He 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 played the same ten years that I did, like he was other than injured, he was there. And you know, I'd be very close with 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 Robbie because of that. And and his and his uh his his dad Tony came on a tour with us to Lords and we became lifelong friends. Uh, but there were some really like super players. Um, in that time, you know. And did Connacht, do you think, and does it still to this day revel in that kind of underdog, we're the unwanted province here kind of vibe? <laughs> I, I would say, I would say a bit, to be honest with you, I would hope today not so much. We used to, and funny enough, 
like I played for I think I think nine ten seasons. I I was really lucky. Only Rangers wise and selection wise, only missed one interpro. But we played Leinster four times in my time in in Galway, and I only lost to them once. Right. Wow. Yeah. And that That's was really by a point, and it was actually in Corinthians because the, the sports ground. We unfortunately we couldn't get them in the sports ground because <laughs> it was frozen or something. <laughs> so the, the only time I lost it was I never lost in the sports ground. The Masters, so it was interesting. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. But I think there's a bit of that, but you know, you, 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 that can be a problem as well. Well, I'm trying to think there when those ten years. Were Leinster the strongest into pro team? No, I can't really remember. Mon- was Munster? Munster. Mon- Ulster. 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 Ten in a row. Yeah, is the one. And would you believe? In fact, we were the first team. We drew ten all with them in the sports ground, and that was the first time in whatever the nine or ten years that they hadn't won a game. We should have won it actually, um, but yeah. we had fourteen men, and they we'd need to the time. Yeah, it's funny yeah. when you mention that. The first ge- ever game I was at the sports ground, Ulster, uh, back uh, it was the end of the nineties or mid nineties, and uh, yeah, Ulster. I think they. They put up 40 points against Connacht. They were just yeah, awesome. They were a very good side. Uh, but in the yeah. 80s, they were even, you know, the, the 80s, to the they were even better. The, the 80s to the early 90s, like they Carr, Matthews, or like they had the team for right, the yeah. you know? Yeah. Team uh, one final question on rugby before we better start talking about <laughs> the rugby podcast. We've, we've branched out to the rugby podcast. People are going to be listening to this going, What the hell? I've tuned into the wrong show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell us, give us a highlight from your time playing and or coaching. Like a game or two that stands out, apart from the All Blacks. You mentioned the All Blacks, but like in terms of victories or. Yeah. For Connacht, too, I saw it was my second game for Connacht. Um, we played Munster, who were seriously good. I mean, you, you talked about Donald Lennon. And we played them in Thoman Park. And we were beaten the previous week. It was my first cap. We were beaten 40 points to six by Ulster. Went down to Thoman Park. And we beat them 11-9. And we scored in the last play of the game. And I was involved in the move three times myself. I had the ball three times myself. And I was only a young fella, like, and... Uh, and there was guys in it like there was a famous brilliant rugby player called John O'Driscoll. I think he's the incoming president mm. of the RFU. John O'Driscoll played for the Lions. He was a, he was a back rower, six, you know, some of your younger listen probably, but Google him. He and he was as hard as nails. And he was he, he was nearly in tears after the first game I think he'd ever integral won with Connolly. He was like an outstanding player. And so that was one. And the other game probably we played the last game to play Leinster and again we were losing with um, they scored with a minute to go and and probably because I was involved myself we, we didn't I'd say the last minute injury time we made a break in the middle of the pitch and and uh, went on gave the pass in and we scored and it's just that euphoria of those ones the other it's probably the ones that you you know when you, you win them or it's the same when you lose them in the last minute mm. they're the most mm. devastating ones but uh, not that I often made a break don't get me wrong I didn't have the pace but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I did that day mind you it was only um, it was Shane Byrne I took on the outside so you don't get a lot of credit for taking Shane Byrne on the outside really. his hair was holding him back you know? absolutely yeah uh, uh, well we'll do the bonus episode for rugby podcast fans maybe yeah uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I have a, a rugby legend that no one ever heard of. If you want, <laughs> uh, brilliant to hear though. Like it's, it, and it, you know, it's fellas like yourself who've had such careers. You know what I mean? That you know go under the spotlight, like in many respects as well. But come here. So when you were playing, were you doing fly fishing as well? Did you keep it up during the career? I, I, I funny enough that you mentioned that in the in the mid to 
80s, early 90s, I did hardly any, is the answer. And then when I started to get back into, went back into it, remember the rod license came up, Tom, you'll know the year of that, because I remember I was, I was kind of all set, or I'm getting back into this, yeah. you know, because the, the, you kind of, uh, you were training summers and all that kind of stuff when you were in the rugby, like you'd have a program from Connacht, like for three or four days a week trying just to so get into it. And then in the 90s, I really got back into it and kind of kind of went from there. And so you were you were still in Connacht, living in, in Galway at that stage? Dub- no, I was living in Dublin okay. always when I played for Connacht. Yeah, I, went, I came mm. to Dublin from school, if you know what I mean, but I played for Connacht. So my parents lived there, I did. So were you commuting, actually? Sorry, just going up and down mm. for training? Yes, I was. For coaching, playing, it was mad stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, That's like, I remember... I remember um, doing an interview with um, Cyril Farrell even back in the day, and he was based in Dublin when he was yeah, training yeah. that Galway All Ireland winning team in the eighties. Like, and the commitment, like, and obviously the same for yourself. Like, you'd be up and down what three, four times a week, and this is before the motorway. Yeah. Like, and yeah. the, this is pre. I was just going to say yeah. that pre motorway, so you knew the inside of Kilbegan, <laughs> Moat, uh, Rockford I cr- I Bridge. Yeah, I, cry, I have tears in my yeah. eyes thinking about yeah. it. You knew every chipper in Loch Ray. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you'd just be looking into them. Yeah. Oh. And no wonder you didn't have any time for fishing. <laughs> but but that, that was the thing, you know, there's, uh, the, the, you, you, you were exactly about that. And sometimes you train at loan and stuff like that, but I'm laughing when you say chipper. I'm going way out here if you want to hear a very funny story. But, you know, you, you, and it doesn't involve me, but I played. Wonders with one of the most enjoyable players I ever played was Gary Halpin. And unfortunately, died a couple of years ago. Oh, to the same, but Halpin was just the funniest bloke I've ever met. Like, and uh, he was telling me we used to train in Tullamore sometimes. You go into Supermax afterwards, and I was saying that to him one day. And he was saying they, they the Irish team trained there one day, and they went in. You know, they were training. They were overnight, and they sneaked out himself and Claw and Poppy, <laughs> Papa, into into. Um, uh, into Supermax, which they weren't meant to do, obviously, at Neil Francis. And they, uh, so they were in there, and a, a, a local fella came in, an older man, half sculptor, didn't know who they were. And he, he looked at them and he goes, Jesus, lads, he says, you look like big rubby men, you know, no, no G, you know, the rubby men. So the lads thought this was hilarious. And, and Halpo would come back, and, you know, you'd be in the middle of a game, and he'd go on, Cozzy. Things go me and he'd go on, you know what, Cozzy? And I'd go, what? You're just a big rubby man, he said. <laughs> the purpose of the story was they were playing, uh, they were on an all blacks tour that year and um, it didn't go well for them. I think they went well in the first test and then they got absolutely annihilated. I think I think they were playing Bay of Plenty and the the uh, the Wednesday team on those tours generally called, excuse the language, the Fuckums because <laughs> fuck them, they're not playing on the first team and they were. They were being beaten by like something like fifty points by Bay of Plenty, and I think the try was still four points. And I have a funny <laughs> feeling near France might be captain, but I can't remember who was. But anyway, when the last try came in, anyway, they were in under the sticks, and you know the captain calls everyone in. You know the usual for F's sake, lads, what's going wrong here? You know, and Halpo just looks up at them all and goes, "I, I know," and they all just kind of stopped and looked at him and said, "What?" He said, "I I know what's going wrong." He says, "What?" They're all just big rubby men, said. And I think there's a video of it. They're actually shaking in the huddle with laughter of, of the whole thing. So sorry for digressing again. But when you when you when you mentioned Supermax in Tullamore, it's all I could think of. Ruby men. <laughs> all big ruby men. Some characters. Right, back to the fishing. So back to the fishing. 
We've digressed. This is, this is the worst podcast you've ever done. <laughs> The funniest. We will the funniest. Get, we'll get yeah. to fishing at some stage. We say it was funny, but we lost all our listeners. <laughs> uh, so where were we? Oh yes. Uh, uh, so you're okay. So you're based. At, you're in Dublin. Uh, you've retired from rugby. You're, you've yes. re, you've refound fishing. Um, so were you heading back west all the time, kind of when you could? I'd head back west all the time, and you know, I go down for the Mayfly, take two weeks off um, religiously for the Mayfly. I beg some friend to put me up either Seamus Kine's mother or Brendan Lynch who owns a supermarket Clambert it was great to me and myself and Tom Summer we'd fish you know two weeks and then um, and then in 2000 I said ah jeez I woke up one morning one of those things said ah jeez I can't be doing this and I went to, I, I literally woke up one morning said I'm going by a house down there uh, and I'm going to try and squeeze a bit of money borrow a bit of money and I got it the following week I went and looked at the number of houses in the first house I saw I bought it's on a small lake called Lac Nafui which time but it looks over Lac mm. Mask on one side and straight on to Lac Nafui at the others and I bought it at probably a, good, a goodish time 2000 wasn't bad you know Fabulous, fabulous. So does that did that mean you were going down fishing all the time then? That made, well, whenever I could get away, you know, I did a lot more fishing, let me put it that way, than I had been here before. I suppose when you buy a house, you kind of, you've made the commitment, there's no backing out, it's kind of the no, best that's way to it. Yeah, yeah. I loved it down there, like I, I spent all my childhood there, to be honest, even, you know, my school breaks, everything, when we were in Dublin, I, I just didn't want to be anywhere else, and uh just the whole lifestyle and I envy Tom there and nobody's looking out at this morning and uh, anyway. Right. Were, you, yeah. were you never tempted to, because to, obviously I know work and all that is, you know, usually in the cities, whether it's Dublin or wherever, were you ever tempted to try and make the move full time? I wasn't. I, look, I don't be sorry, but, but on this kind of stuff, the job I had and kind of it was hard to do that, you know, to mm. replace that, you know, and you could say lifestyle and maybe looking back, yeah, lifestyle. I maybe I, I it would have been a thing, but it was just the way it was. And because I was myself out of the rugby, even up to the, up to two thousand three, four, I was still coaching. You know, there was no you, you, you weren't even thinking that way. I wasn't anyway. And then you know, yeah, life just takes over. You know. Yeah. But something I got to say, and quite often this happens, Mike. And you know, you get more fishing some done, done sometimes when you're not living in a place. And yeah, I, you, you know, yeah, if you're here working, suddenly, at least when you come down for your set breaks, you'll fish. You yeah. know, you've put, even if you're coming down for a weekend. But I know it here, and you say, you know, you say, I'm looking out over the lake. Yeah, but between me and the lake, there's jobs to be done. There's always <laughs> jobs to be done in your own place, you know? So at least when you have a set time, you're going down to Clumber or coming down and you're going to go fishing, and that's it. So, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to give you the good points. <laughs> You're right, but but funny enough, you're a hundred percent right because now that I have a house, there's jobs to be done in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, seriously, you know, cutting the grass, the hedges, and they have two, yeah. two, two lovely kids. You know, they'll be seven mm. and nine this minute in a week's time. But uh, that that keeps you much busier, you know, than I used to. I'm slightly older father, so um, yeah, I, uh, I I got a lot of I got a lot, I, I did a lot of fishing in 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 uh, in the years before I had kids, but it kind of brings it back a little bit, you know. Have you found it's tailed off since? The, the kids have come wrong. Well, I'm sure you can answer that question as well as I can. But, uh, yeah. It's, um, uh, it's tough job. I'm just trying to get old enough to see can I get a bit of real interest in it, yeah. you know, then I have another excuse. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit like the football matches. You bring the kids along, you know. 
the, the yeah, good, the absolutely, good yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so tell us, how did Montana come onto the the radar? Yeah, really, a friend of mine actually invited me to go. He um, actually had a house over in, 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 up near Tam there. He was looking over um, um, uh, the carob there. Um, and uh, he asked, invited me. I'd done him a few favours and various things, and he invited me to go over. And we went over in 2001. Remember, it was just about two weeks after 9-11. It was an absolute nightmare. And uh, airports wise and that, you know. But he had met a guy in Chile who was an outfitter in Montana. And he had been running a lodge down there for the winter because the guy who owned the lodge, I think, had died. And he said, look, if you like dry fly fishing, so you've got to come to Montana. So he said to me, and I always had a grow about Montana. I didn't know anything about it. And 2001 was the first time I went there. And, you know, that was a, a love affair that was never to leave. And I went, we went, the two of us went a few years together and um the and we went we did one year in alaska and that was okay i enjoyed it but it was heavy fishing to be honest with you. it was kind of fly fishing a lot of you know where you're getting down with eggs and they're losing weights and stuff that wasn't mm. that enjoyable it was like the whole experience was fantastic it was one of those ones where you flew you know into the wilderness by plane they dropped you on the side of a river landed literally landed on the on the stones on the side of the river and off you went for eight days but it was it was a brilliant experience for the fishing i was saying like enjoyed the actual fishing more montana the following year we were due to go back and the day before we were due to go back he cried off couldn't believe it and i went myself then it was a costly uh it was a costly one but the guy gary fritz who's the guy who went to <clears throat> on that trip i introduced him to playing golf and he became a fanatic and he every year afterwards he invited me over free gravis stayed with him and fish and play golf for two weeks two and a half weeks every year up until my first child was born in 2013, and uh, and would you believe in 2015 they found him dead on the 11th hole in his local golf course, he died of a heart attack. But he loved it. But he was a fanatic, and he was without doubt the best fisherman, the best guide. Uh, like, and I'd been with a number in, in Montana and other places. But he was, he was, he took the, golf was the worst game for him because he was a perfectionist. So, like, he'd lose the plot over him. But every year you'd come back, he'd have found different ways of fishing, different places, different. I was just, I was just so lucky again. I really look at my lucky career and stuff. I was just so lucky to met this guy. And uh, it was because I couldn't have afforded really to do it on my own. It's an expensive one to do on your own every year. Oh. Uh, and then it was just, when can you get over, bring your golf clubs to everything. If you're a fly tire or want to get into fly tying, then this is for you. Ireland on the Fly have teamed up with Fulling Mail to give away a box of fly tying materials with free shipping to one lucky listener each week. With more than 1,400 products to choose from, each perfectly packed by hand, their new range of fly tying material warrants closer inspection. Anyone wanting to see them in person and handle them could do well to get along to the Irish Fly Fair in Enniskillen, County Fermanagh, of which Fulling Mill is one of the sponsors. Held over next weekend, the 18th and 19th of November, they can not only see these materials being put to masterful use by the likes of Jackie Mann, but they can stock up from Fulling Mill dealers of Shane Rogers of Rogers Tackle, who will be laden with all the new stock at the show. I hope to be there myself on the Saturday, so um, hopefully I might get to see a few few of our listeners there. From dozens of exciting new dubbings, chenilles, yarns and wools, to perfectly prepared and packaged marabou, zonkers, deer belly and bucktail, the range is going down a storm, and this week's top mover is their new Eco Warrior dub, so be sure to check it out. 
And to be in with a chance of winning the £50 worth of materials, just answer the following question. How many times did Mike Cosgrove touch the ball when playing rugby against the All Blacks? Hint, it wasn't that many. <laughs> Email your answer to info at irelandonthefly.com and we will announce the winner on next week's show. And congrats to Connor McFadden, who is the latest winner. Connor will be in touch. And when you went with Gary, would you go all over Montana? And, and, and that's, that's, I mean, Montana's okay. huge. So. So, so getting into the detail of so people that might interest, Gary lived on Missouri, which is without doubt the best fishing river in Montana. They'll talk about the Yellowstone. They'll talk about the Madison. They'll talk about, and I fished them all. I, I fished, I think I fished 13 or 14 rivers with Gary, but he lived on the Missouri and the Missouri. It, when I went over first, it had five and a half thousand trout per mile. It has now got seven and a half thousand trout per mile. Uh-huh. Um, it is the mighty mo they call it. And funny enough, it doesn't always come up. They they, they kind of look at the the kind of you know, you know those other freestone rivers, um, but the Missouri is unbelievable. The problem is it's very it's got very busy. I was very lucky actually. If, if people are thinking of doing it, if anyone wants to contact me, stuff, I have no problem with that. But you know, this is the time of the year. I used to go over in October every year. Summer is a bit mad, but I used to go in October, and it's and. You know, if you want to fish nymphs and bobbers and stuff, you know, flow the you'll get loads of fish. But I prefer fishing dries when the opportunity comes and um and streamers, super streamer fishing there as well. Yeah. But like yeah. Un- unbelievable streamer fishing. So I I that 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 to me was that the Missouri was like unbelievable. And and I got it in days. I was lucky or fantastic. And <clears throat> just to mention one, does it there's a place on it? I came one year. And he had said, there's a place called Land of the Giants on the Missouri. It's, it's a, below a dam and above a man-made lake that flo- Missouri flows through. <clears throat> and uh, you need a you need a, a boat license engine. You know, once you're on an engine, you've got to have a license to go up there. And he had found this place called the Land of Giants. Well, lads, I'll tell you, if you think you fish for big trout and places, you just, yeah. this, this place was unbelievable like just the size of the fish the 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 uh, and even the lake where you used to go out from and uh, one small story if you'd like it but i remember we went out one one on the lake one morning and we were a little bit lake on it which is unusual and um he said look i was out a few days there's trout trout in the lake before we go up the river we went over to the side and when the two of us would be fishing one of us would take the boat and one of us would be casting and I'm not joking, we went over to the corner side of the lake, there was a weed bank, and I would say, and people say he's talking absolute shite, but I would say <laughs> in the hour and a half, because we got bored, I would say we had over between 60 and 70 fish, of which of which I wouldn't say 10 of them were under three pounds. And just, I know it was mental. It was mental. I know it sounds like completely unrealistic, but I, I promise you. I remember, like, I had a fish. The, we were basically catching the fish every cast, you know, more or less. And to say, I, because they were on streamers, you know, he was really protective for the fish. He'd get them in quickly, get them in quickly. And I, I cast out at one stage. I had one on, and he was going, crank on it, crank on it. As you always say, so you get in quickly. And the streamer came out of its mouth as I had it full tilt nearly took the head off me and I had to duck out of the way 
and it landed the other side and I gave him one strip and it fished the other side of the boat. <laughs> that is a fact. And uh, he said to me, we went down and we fished it in the evening for a little bit and uh, caught a fish. And he said to me, um, as I was leaving, you know, you got a fish on your first cast and your last cast today. We actually went up the river then. We didn't even bother uh, you know, with it anymore because it was just, you know, it was just shooting fish in a barrel. But the quality of the fish, the size. Now, I believe... There's, there's a guy that I know who, who, who's a very good guy on it. And I believe it's got so busy now that uh, right. he, he kind of tries to avoid it. But this time of the year would be your best chance. But the fish, I don't know what the feeding was on it. It was just because actually that same crank on it, he lost me my biggest fish. I had a brown <laughs> on. It must have been 10 pounds. And he kept going, you're not cranking on it. You're not cranking on it. And, and it was in a fast part of the river. And the fish turned and just smashed everything on it. And he just looked at me and said, sorry about that. <laughs> and he said, that was the biggest fish you've ever got here. And I didn't get one bigger subsequently. Um, wow. Sounds incredible. That was that was that was that, was that, that, that it was it, like as I say, I fished the Spring Creeks, I fished the Madison, I fished the Madison's a fantastic river. They call it the fifty mile riffle. Uh, it's just flows for fifty miles, you know, Freestone River. Actually, Mike, you often hear this Freestone River. What's a Freestone River? Well, Freestone River is rivers that uh flow from the snow melt, basically. Right. Yeah, the, the Missouri is a load of rivers flowing into it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But they are just straight from that. That's that's the the trip I did. The, I hadn't been back since 2013. That's the trip I did this year with two free. What the main part of it was to to um, to um, the the uh, South Fork of the Flathead, which was in a wilderness trip, which which was one I had been on my mind for years. And if I have time, I'll tell you how I found out about it and how I ended up doing it. And if I don't. <laughs> Tell me to get lost. I know because you, you, yeah, because you, you, you've told me a little bit about it when I was chatting to you. I'm dying to hear to, to hear the full story of it. And so actually, it just sounded be- absolutely amazing. Before yeah. we just get into, could you maybe just paint the picture for people? Montana, just we're talking west, north. We're on the border of Canada there, aren't we? And the size of the place is it just the size of the place? Yeah. Well, t- just to give you an idea of it, it's three and a half times the size of Ireland, roughly. And it currently now thinks they think it's got slightly overpopulated now with just over a million people. There was under a million people for a lot of years because, you know, things like, you know, a lot of money has gone there. But an interesting, really interesting thing about Dallas, which I actually only learned this year when I was over there, was 92% of the land is owned by the government. Oh, wow. So, you, of course, Yellowstone National Park, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah Glacier National Park. But everywhere it is, like, they all over. it's just unbelievable. It, it's divided by the Rockies. So one half of, the, of it is like Indian, old Indian, you always see in the Westerns, and the other half is more that Rockies type, you know, one of the lovely rivers to rib fish is the is the great one for, from the, a river runs through it, which is the, mm. the, the Blackfoot. Beautiful. Mm. Absolutely. Did you fish that? that? Oh, we used to have a thing where we'd, we'd watch the movie where we were over there and fishing every ever. In fact, that's, that's like going to Kong and watching The Quiet Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You're, you're right. And, and you know, Tom, when there's visitors there, they have to do that. And they, yeah. It's like, oh, man, yeah. Uh, but actually, funny enough, that that's actually how. I ended up here in some ways about this trip. You know the way really mad things happen to you sometimes. Like we were going out when I was my friend and myself were still going over. 
together. We were going out fishing one day and he was a terrible man for being late. And he'd be doing, oh, I have a bit of call to make here, an email. And we ended up going out and we were going on the Missouri. And Gary was busy that day. So we were going with another guy. And we didn't get out till 11 o'clock, which is like two hours after you'd normally be out, two and a half hours. And there's a million places to go out. So normally you'd be on your own. And this car, when we were heading out, pulled in behind us. And an older man and a younger man got out. And my mate, Enda, says to me, Jesus, he says to me, because I know the older guy there. And I said, you do in your, you know, Jamaica, <laughs> as if in the middle of Montana. He says, no, no, I do. And, and he had been on a trip to Cuba some years beforehand. And he said he was on the trip and he said, I even remember his name. He had a really cool name. Bud Hunter was his name. So I said, yeah, all right, well, let's go up. Jeez, he wasn't within 10 yards of your man and your man goes, ah, the Irish guy. You know, I had a clue his name. <laughs> the Irish guy. But incredibly, would you believe, he said to me, you've got to come down to our place. I, he had a house on his friend's ranch on his friend's summer 68-acre holiday home and he had a house on it. And it happened to be uh, in a place called Avando, where we would go to fish the Blackfoot. And we were actually going on the Friday down to Avando to fish the Blackfoot. Now, Montana is huge now. Avando is a town, it's like going back to the 1870s. There's a hardware shop and then there's a kind of a cafe and a fishing shop all in one. And it's all wood. You know, the wooden walks that <laughs> yeah. they see the cowboys come down. There's nothing in it. And that's where your man's on. And he says, come down on Thursday. He says, come stay, bring your guide. Stay with us. We went down, stayed in the in, in the ranch. We had elk for dinner and they had they had this, his, his friend had about 20 miles of the, the stream that ran into the Blackfoot. It was called Montour Creek. It was full of fish. But we went down, we fished for the, for the, uh, the day with him and two boats. We had some laugh. And every year after that, my friend never got back, but I went back every year and stayed a couple of nights with them, fished their river. In fact, I even went fishing up to a place with the two, the, the guy who owned the ranch and our friend Bud Hunter. And they were like, they were like gr grumpy old men. They were two older fellas. And the, the guy who owned the ranch, a guy called Ralph Buckingham, he, uh, as Bud said, he's so much money, he doesn't know how much money he had. He owned a private bank, which he sold in, in, in uh, Carolina. And his mother was one of the, like, say it was Smith Klein Beecham, and she was a Smith or whatever. But he was the nicest, most down-to-earth bloke you ever met. No bullshit at all. And he had this massive ranch. It was just, it was, it's just beautiful. But the reason I'm telling you that was... Bud, when I went down, though, I was, we were talking and I went down and spent time with him like every year. And he said to me, you know, he said, when I was younger, I used to go into the wilderness, which borders Montana and Canada. It's called the Bob Marshall Wilderness. He said, I used to go in for two weeks on horseback with a guide, no one in there. We'd fish down. It. So it was always in my head, this Bob Marshall Wilderness. So about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I was coming up to a, a decent birthday and my wife was giving me a bit of a pass and started looking this up where to fish it, how to fish it, you know, could go into the wilderness. And I was looking up loads of sites and stuff like that, and there was a, there was a few people that did it. And would you believe a guy, there was an American family, two doors up from me, she's a big job in Europe, and they, the, 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 the husband, who actually paid for the Buffalo Bills, would you believe, this, he's a lawyer, <clears throat> He was. they had a house of whitefish Montana. I'd be, we'd be chatting about Montana. I'd just happen to say, look, any idea would you know who would be good at doing going for a trip into the wilderness you know because it's 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 a it's a it's a particular thing 
And he said, yeah, look, my guide, I think, does that for somebody. And he gave me this guy called Mark Evans. He gave me the name. He said, these are the best guys to do. It was a place called Montana Wilderness Lodge. And I rang your man. And uh, he was kind of third generation Irish as well. Rich McAtee was his name. Same as McEntee. They're all similar. And I put a few guys together, made a mind, a good friend of mine from Galway, Mac and Keane, who fished a lot in the Carib, who Tom would know. Uh, he's an oncologist in, in Galway. And <clears throat> my cousin who lives next door to me, who they have uh, placed down up the road. He's a, he's a doctor. He he literally moved next door by chance. And a, a friend of mine across the road called Rory Burgess, who's uh, in the pub and sleep business. They all do fish. And I go with Rory down to fish a lot down in Tipperary and down to Ryan and stuff like that. So, they all agreed to go. Uh, so we uh, spent a year kind of planning it. And uh, I went over a little bit early, funny with Mac, and we fished a few rivers in Missoula. Well, no, we fished the Blackfoot and we fished the Clark Fork and uh, the Bitterroot, which are kind of well-known rivers. <clears throat> but this trip was an eight-day trip. You went up to the lodge, stayed the night, and then you went in on horseback for two days. There were two days on horseback. Um, and uh, it was... Uh, so you have about seven hours the first day and then you know, fish in the evening, you camp and then you went in the second day and got to your main camp after about sort of six hours. So it was tough enough now going in, but it was amazing. I mean, you're, there's nothing, you know, there's you're, you're no phones, no, you're none of that. They're the satellite phone for emergencies. Like other than that, amazing. you're into the wilderness and then you come down for the next five six days and you fish uh, and that that's the south fork of the flathead is all native montana trout which are cutthroats and bull trout and white fish um and you know you fish most of the other rivers like the blackfoot had, has all of them actually it is rainbows cutthroat cut bows which is a mixture between the two bull trout white trout you know that's the the grand slam as they call it um but uh and brown trout uh, but this only has native Montana trout. And it, it was, I, I fished, you could fish kind of hopper dropper stuff. I fished dry fly nearly the whole time. It was unbelievable. We, we were talking 100 fish a day. Now, wow. uh, from sort of cutthroats in that river, don't, you know, two and a half pounds, probably the biggest one you get. But just seeing them, the, the, the bull trout go to 10, 12, you know, Mackin got one, I lost two, but you're, you're a fishing streamer for those. But it was just, it, it was the whole experience, the horse riding, the camping at night uh, was unreal. Like it was, it was, the, the lads were, I was just saying, trip for a lifetime, you know, it was, um, they, they bring all the stuff in, the rafts, the, the tents. You know, there's a line it's like honestly going back in time they have a line of mules they bring six or seven mules they bring all the way in they set up the camp and then they leave you there's a guide for every two and then there's a someone who manages the camp and a camp hand and they pack up every morning and they meet you down at the next point sometimes you you say two nights in one area and you go up and down the river but just like i couldn't even describe it it was like it was like heaven on earth you know sound amazing and i remember when you're because you were telling me a little bit about it beforehand, Mike. And the first thing I said to you was, yeah, but surely a four by four can get in as well. Yeah. And you said, no. You, you don't even see helicopters dropping stuff in, actually. It's it's very dense. You know, there's been a lot of, that area of Martana, a huge amount of forest fires and stuff like that. Some people, you know, pay people to bring their stuff in and they hike it in, you know what I mean? There's loads, there's right. good numbers. Yeah. They're, they're great for outdoors in Montana. Like everyone can do outdoors in Montana. Yeah. Everyone can fix everything. They're, they're, it's like it's like the old days, you know? Uh, but amazing, amazing. Um, 
know, you get in, oh, the, even the crack at night, the whole, the whole, you know, laugh. But we were lucky. The lads were a good crack. Rory's my mate here. He's a hilarious bloke. And uh, yeah. they, they just thought it was the best trip they were ever on. And there was a couple on it, actually, the American couple. They were in their 70s, believe me. It was tough for them now, but they were, they, they just, they thought, because the Irish guys were taking the mickey out of each other for the whole trip, that it was the best trip. Camille, <laughs> um, how proficient did you have to be as a horse rider? Not at all, really, you know. Yeah? Yeah, just you want to get your arse and gear before you literally. I, <laughs> I, I, I was going to the gym with the biggest saddle on the bike, and I was going to sit this. Funny enough, it was more my knees and my feet that were sore, you know, but... Uh, um, yeah. I was I was nearly going to say a, a phrase that my 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 great friend Tom Somerville I may as well, but anyway, you might want to blank it out. Yeah. You could have an arse like a flute player's lips after it, or a hole like a flute player's <laughs> lips after it. Proper wilderness, like my God, proper oh, wilderness. proper wilderness. It, it is the wilderness that 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 divides um, um, the the two. And actually, funny enough, we were lucky. Myself and Mac and went a few days early and fished some rivers. But incredibly hot at the time. It, we went in July. Um, and because you can only do this trip kind of in July and August, they are the times. And there are only certain people who are, I think there's only three from where you went that are allowed guide in that particular area. Right. Um, but the, so when we were in Missoula, myself, Mac, and we fished a bit of route and stuff like that. And uh, and we had to get up at six o'clock in the morning and they, they'd go up as high as they could. So the water was cooler because uh, come afternoon. It's, it was so hot the fish would just they, they, there'd be no fish and so we but when we went up there because that's higher it was it was all day every day it was like literally you could you could have caught 200 fish in a day if you wanted nearly do you know what I mean certainly if you're relatively proficient you know um, at, at it because you know at night time I'd come in and you know, relax and have the crack you could go out and fish for the two hours you know what I mean mm. if you wanted to get up and six o'clock in the morning if you wanted you know but we we had so much fishing during the day to be fair it was the, the crack was as much part of it. it was it was just i would say it was just the whole experience to be honest with you it was just it was just totally different than like montana's brilliant brilliant rivers all that kind of stuff and you know get loads of fish and anyone who's really into into fishing like summer is good for the dry fly as well but when i'd say that the most prolific day i ever saw was on the missouri and it was snowing and they had a hatch of beta, so I got not even good at the thing. And as guys said, I'd say every fish in the river was rising. It was yeah. like bananas. And when I say rise, you know, when you're fishing, the, the things, particularly things like the Missouri, when the fish are rising, what you're doing is you, you drift down the boat and you'd see them rising. There could be like 20, 30, 40, 50 fish rising on the same riffle, just nonstop, like just taking take and take you know on that type of time certainly ten of you know, the big ones tend to get at the top it is pretty precise fishing that one now because you got to get your drift right your you know you, you, all that type of stuff especially a dry fly you know you're mending and you're not in a lot of states when you're in those drift boats the guys will if you're not proficient will drift with you in the boat but if you're stopping to drift those ones you've got to you're you're you fly you're dry fly fishing downstream so you're mending you're unmending your you know all those things and even when you're drifting the boat you're, you're doing that even with nymphs and you know bobber fishing as they call it with floats you have to get the drift right but you learn so much you know, for anyone who river fishes there's lots obviously very proficient but you go to montana i'll tell you you could be coming back 
I would still say I'm not great, but like you're coming back far better. You're doing it every day, and they're 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 telling you, mend right, mend left, left slack. You know, it, it's nonstop. Like if, especially if you get a good guy, yeah, it sharpens you, ruins you in some respects. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was like, I was complete. Guy. I'm shite when I went first time, you know what I mean? You know, I say your mom is looking to be gone. These are going to be a long two weeks with these guys. You know? <laughs> um, is it expensive? Yeah. Is it, or I know, I, you know, you can obviously find it as expensive as you want, but it's not like you're talking. If there's two of you going, like for a guiding day, you're talking, Tom, close your ears here before you get, get ill, but you're talking about. You don't think, think I Google these things? Yeah. You're talking. <laughs> Now you're talking about sort of $500 a day, you know, ish, you know, mm-hmm. without the tip, by the way. Um, so you're 250 So if you were to go for 10 days for fishing, you're talking about two and a half, three, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. So if you wanted to, to fly out there is, is cheap. I, I got, I saw flights, actually, I didn't take them at time. I got cheap off to, to Montana uh, last Christmas. I, I didn't book them in time. 650 euros returned that, that was to seattle and on to montana so that bit isn't isn't particularly expensive um f- for the length of time the distance you're going and then <clears throat> accommodation varies accommodation in america's got expensive i have to say like before you get accommodation for nothing you know accommodation is not cheap but i if i was going and doing it i wouldn't be going i go for cheap enough accommodation wherever you're going because you're not a you're not in it, you know what I mean. Yeah, you're in yeah. it day now, so it depends where you're going. But um, you know, it's some really, but it probably costs you if you like. You've talked probably if you're doing a kind of a, a one-off trip of a lifetime, you probably put six or seven grand away for the trip. You know what I mean? Like, and 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 that's what you do. But like, you know, it's you want to be going with someone as well to to do that way. But the fish in itself, like. Two hundred fifty dollars a day. That's about two hundred twenty Irish, or you know what I mean. Like you, 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 you're, you're. That, that's what that's what it is. You get your lunch, you get your whatever, and they give you all the flies and everything. Like they do, they give you everything basically, you know. And they couldn't be more helpful. Like they just literally, the really good guys that change, they'll change up again. They'll bring a load of rods themselves. They'll, you know, and as I say, if people are interested or even comes back to you. You know, on the Missourian mother, I I do have some very good contacts in some of those places. Just just by surely been there. Um, there's a the place called Headhunters. Uh, called Mark Reisler has a Craig Montana is actually kind of the mecca. It's on the Missouri. If you ever look, there's three fly shops mm. in it. That will tell you how good it is. And there's nothing else bar a bar, <laughs> which is a kind of a, a kind of a restaurant. Other than that, there's nothing in it. Three fly shops, um, but. I say timing is the it's very busy during the summer. Like it'd be great hopper fish and stuff like that. I'm saying put the people off. But if you got the time at this time of the year, it calms down and the fishing can be terrific. Mm. What time does the season end out there? It doesn't. In so a lot of rivers. Yeah. It's open. Uh, it doesn't in a lot of rivers anyway. Uh, not all, all, but it does it does fishing all the way through. But obviously Montana's one of those that gets cold in the winter and the bigger snowfall they have, the better fishing generally is the following year because it washes out the rivers and stuff like that. So yeah, it's like that. And fantastic wildlife as well, particularly on the Missouri. Your, your eagles mm-hmm. all over you, osprey, yeah. deer, you, you know, elk, unbelievable. And then just the the trip into the Bob Marshall Wilderness uh, Complex, was that more expensive? The way I did it, it was, I did, there's a couple of ways you can do it. We did it so you were rafting and going to different places, but you can do it when it's not rafting. And actually, funny enough, 
that I believe it was about the, the it was about your man gave us a discount because it was four, but it cost about seven thousand dollars. Is what it was, you know. It was a lot of saving. But I, I was looking up. You could do the weight it on weight, which is probably equally as good. To be honest, I don't, I'm not saying we we go cracking it. And I think that was like three and a half, four thousand dollars for six days or something like that. So that that wasn't bad. It was per yeah. uh, two. It it was it wasn't bad. You can look at a few different things there. Uh, we ended up doing this one because it was kind of that was going to be eight. I wouldn't do one. To be is expensive again. But there, there's other guided trips. A lovely one on the Smith River. Smith River is beautiful. It's another river. And funny enough, you said Tom, heaven on earth. There's a ranch in Smith River called Heaven on Earth that you can go to, and it is. It's got a little nine hole golf course on it, and it is absolutely <laughs> amazing. You can go and fish for the day on it. I did it once with Gary. And uh, the guy who ran it, it's where he 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 was like living in the wilderness. He used to feed bears out of his back door. The wildlife and game used to be coming down with guns, threatening him nearly for feeding bears. He was a gas ticket, and you know, but it was it was gorgeous. Oh, so many gorgeous places in it. You know, you could do a lot, very nice trip there though, and fish a number of the rivers and spring creeks. And you'd, you know, if you were if you were doing if you were going to do a, a big trip, you know, save up. That's the place for me to go. And I know people of New Zealand, but New Zealand very specific fishing. You know, Tom, better than I do sight mm. fish and all that kind of stuff. But you know, if you know, for sheer enjoyment and size and stuff, like that it's 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 unbelievable. You've sold it, I tell you. Uh, that's <laughs> the it's the um, but I, I think for people, isn't it the sheer choice? It can be a bit overwhelming, maybe because a the size of it, so many rivers. Where do you go? Mm. Where do you start? I suppose, look, just start doing your own digging and doing your own research, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, as I say, but, um, you know, you won't go wrong with fish in the Missouri. There's just a, like 7,500 fish per mile. Just think about it. Just, mm-hmm. it's, 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 and they thought it was brilliant when it was 5,500. And in the period in the 2000s, it dropped down to three and a half thousand and they were going, Jesus, the fishing is getting, you know what I mean? And now it's up to, I only heard it was there, seven and a half thousand, but you know, it was J- July, we could have gone over there, but uh, over there I said, look, it's just, uh, it's mental busy. But if I was, if I was going this time of the year, that's where I go without fail. So how many trips have you made over? I would say 14. Wow, so pretty wow. much nearly every other year, kind of for the last 20 well, years. Well, I was going every year from 2001 and to 2013, and I went twice one year because my uh, my lovely wife, who was my girlfriend then, um, and her sister had done a trip along the West Coast, and I met them in Seattle, and I, I hired a car, and I said, I'll bring you over. We bet I brought them over to the ranch and over to Gary. And uh, we fished with Gary for two days, and and they did. did my, my wife, to be fair, is is is, is quite good at fishing, and uh, but not much fly fishing. But her sister had never done it, and we went up that place to line the giant. She was pulling in three or four pound trout, and he was trying to tell her, "Look, this isn't normal. It's, it's like the best in the world." He's saying, and it was at the time. I would say it was hard to get better. You know, uh, she she must have caught twenty fish. Like imagine, like you don't fly fish and you get twenty fish. I'd say all of them three pounds plus you know what i mean maybe one two and a half or you know what i mean but that couple of two and a half but that's what it was like in that particular spot you know amazing, amazing. wow is it hard to go back to they say if you're heading back to clumber or wherever and you're fishing the irish lakes does it i know you can't compare but you know you can't really i used to say the good thing was i used to go in october so you'd forgotten it all <laughs> by the time the main <laughs> yeah. but 
but this year, this year I was back and I did one. I fished one afternoon with a, a mutual friend of Tom's and mine, Declan Gibbons, a great guy, works in the fisheries mm. there. And Deck rang me up and said, I was down with the, with the kids and Maria for a few weeks. And I'll tell you what, it was, it was the only day's fishing I got when I was down. And we went out <laughs> and, you know, I got one fish on the dry fly, which I was, we were out in the deeps, which is not my favourite type of fishing. And Deck got a couple of fish and then he said, we'll go in and try it. And sure, I got one on the dry fly. And I was delighted with myself, you know, having come from 100 fish a day. But, uh, yeah. Uh, it was uh, it, it just look it's you know the expectation you know and unfortunately the the, the I find anyway Tom that's the, the, the those lakes have digressed seriously in the last number of years in my opinion of certainly what I've been fishing maybe it's me now <laughs> but, <laughs> it's happening it's happening yeah, to you. it could be me yeah. you mean you do, you don't like the delights of fishing in a hundred foot depth of water pulling at about sixty miles an hour. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm not good at it, Tom. Honest to God, I'm not good at it. <laughs> I think oh, it was God. like my conic days. I didn't have pace, and I don't think I had pace for that either. <laughs> yeah, you kind of do. God, no. Yeah, it is. I know what you're saying. It is kind of hard to, to come back. But, like, I mean, sometimes you're comparing apples and oranges sometimes. But yeah, do you know exactly. what? Actually, bring it back to actually what, um, Tom, we spoke to Matthew Sullen, the Clare man. Um, who's guided the Ponoy, Patagonia, Seychelles, everywhere. And he says, there's nothing better than coming back to Derg for the Mayfly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's still his highlight. Like. I fished down here, you know, the shore and the iron stuff like that to Andrew, and there's some very good fishing down there, which is really top class as well, you know, and some of those rivers, like, and uh, kind of got, because I've been on the, on the lakes, I'm like, I've got to kind of get into the river fishing more in the last couple of years, which I really enjoy. And I know, Darry, you do a lot of that stuff. I, I, I really enjoy that. Oh, no, that's actually, uh, you've really whetted my appetite. Yeah. I have to say, for Montana there, uh, like really have, it sounded fantastic. Yeah. We might try and put a trip together, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're setting things going in my mind. Oh, we'll, we'll see. I have to, we'll have to talk nicely to my wife again for another one in a couple of years' time. <laughs> Wait till the kids are eighteen, then you get out again. Like, you know. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I only be able to sit in the boat then. I tell you, you. <laughs> Mike. Before we go, we ask everybody who comes on the show uh, one question, and so we're going to ask you: What is your most memorable fish on the fly? Yeah, I was trying to think about that one, and I, I, actually, what I came up with. I was I got married in 2011 on the, on the 1st of September and when my wedding anniversary came along the following year my wife happened to be visiting her sister in the Caymans and I obviously took the opportunity to go down to the house and it was a kind of a it was a crap day and I had to do something in the morning and I picked up the phone and you'll know this Matt I, I rang Brian Joyce and I said Brian mm. You have a boat in Loch Nefui. I, I Although my house looks over, I keep my boat in Loch Mask. I said, can I borrow your boat? I said, which he, I did regularly, to be honest with you. And he never, there wasn't a, not a bother. And he said, tell you what, he said, if you wait an hour, I'll go with you. And I said, fair enough, I'll bring my engine and we'll use your boat. It was miserable. And uh, Loch Nefui is a small lake that leads into Loch Mask, if you know it. And uh, can fish very well at time, can fish very well in September. And we were fishing as one island on it, and we were kind of fishing along the island. He said to me, "Will I'll pull out here, and uh, we're getting in a bit close." And I threw my flies in, I'd say to four inches of water, 
and uh, and I just stripped it as he was pulling back out. And I think I throw a picture of it there. It's the golden fish there that had been six pound trout. It was gold in colour and it, like in the, in the most miserable day. And I was looking over at my house at one stage thinking it would have been much warmer to be in there. And then I got this fish. And uh, my wife texted me that night and said, happy anniversary. You know, because he was uh, slightly behind. And uh, I said, happy anniversary. I just sent her a picture of the fish. <laughs> Best anniversary ever. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because if she was here, there's no way I'd have been out locked if we had fish. It is amazing, though, isn't it? Like, there's the most unlikely of conditions, unlikely of spots. You don't even bother, you know, you're thinking, ah, will I go out or not? And then, boom, makes it all yeah. worthwhile. Like. Yeah, and it was easier not to go out that day, and particularly yeah. to, to there. But I just had this thing, you know, and it was, I didn't go out to about. I said we didn't go out till like two o'clock, you know, and it was yeah. like it was dark. It was in town knows it's surrounded by mountains. It's like when the weather's bad. It's an know, eerie place. Yeah, yeah. It can be yeah. an eerie place when it's when it closes in like yeah. that. When yeah. you're right up on that. I've never had I've fished it a couple of times, like, and I've never had anything huge off it, but I mean, I know they're in it and you know, fair play to you. That that was a cracker from it, wouldn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And and funny enough, I don't think I've ever fished a time fly fishing and not got efficient. Would you believe? Wow, yeah. I don't think I've ever fished and I don't fish yeah. enough. I'd like to keep a boat. It's a hard place to keep a boat on. Because it is it's actually, the, yeah. It's the type of lake that it is. Uh, and you want to be there. But uh, it's, it's an unusual lake, Darren. It's a, it's, a, it's a volcanic lake. It's all sands. A full beach at the end. A beautiful place. You know, full, yeah. full, run down in the morning and go for a swim and stuff like that. It's gorgeous. But it's, uh, it's a, it can be kind of very, very deep in the middle, even for not a big lake. It's only about three, two and a half, three miles long. Yeah, the water can go up and down. A lot of the fish oh, move in from mass. Like, you know, like the is... same, yeah, it goes up and it's straight down because it just flows straight out the other end, yeah. Incredible. Well, we'll put the picture up. People can have a look. Yeah. And see. Oh, Jesus. Barra said the picture. You only asked him to send pictures. They said, like, here, I'm boasting here. No, well, I'm not really boasting, but I've got to be saying, look, I'm Joe Gray, but I'm not really, I, I'm an average fisherman, to be honest with you. But, you know, and I take people going to Montana, like, you know, you learn a lot. You know, you, you, you get the hang of it. And, and even if you're, you know, you're, you're relatively new, the guides will make it easy for you. You know, that's one thing I'd say. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, it's been brilliant stories, Mike, um, between the rugby for the first half and uh, the fly <laughs> fish for the second <laughs> half. Uh, Montana, it sounds incredible. Um, but look, it's been brilliant chatting to, you know, great to hear the stories of another fly angler, you know. Um, and uh, I hope you get back to Montana soon. You never know. No, you hope so. I'd look a pleasure. And thank you very much for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. It's been a, it's a real pleasure uh, for me as well. Thank you. Our thanks to Mike Cosgrave for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.